the Special Education Podcast. My name is Paul Hubbard, and I have dyslexia and ADHD. As a result, learning has always been a struggle. But now, against all odds, I am a successful special education teacher, presenting my insights from both sides of the coin, giving you a different perspective to help you be a better educator. So join me as I daily put the odd in special education. Hello, this is Paul Hubbard with another special education podcast. Today, I'm going to talk about six things you should know about kids with disabilities. I am pulling this from both my personal experience as a kid with disabilities and also from what I've seen from my students over the years. Since there are six of them, I'm going to jump right in so that I can fit them all into that 10 minute time frame. Number one, kids will not let down their guard based on what you say, but only what you do over time. All kids from an early age quickly learn the distinction between what adults say and what they do. Unfortunately, a lot of adults don't have the training necessary to build that consistency with students. Empty threats and broken promises are unfortunately a very common thing among all kids. So you can say whatever you want, but until they see what you do over time, they're either not going to believe you or they're going to tune you out completely. If you're a teacher, I'd recommend at the start of each school year to really evaluate what you're going to be consistent on and only cover those things. This will go a long way into showing the kids that you're different, that you will actually follow through on what you say. Also, be very careful what you promise and never let beggars get their way. If you let them have their way even once, it will show them that they can manipulate your word. This is a dangerous game that you will inevitably lose, so don't even play it. However, if you are presented with new information that could potentially change the outcome of something you've said, then talk out that process with them. Explain to them that this new information is providing you a different perspective, which is changing the outcome, not just because they wanted you to. Number two, a safe place and a safe teacher are two different things. Although this isn't always true, most of the time teachers don't outright insult or tease students for things they do. But if you're someone who wants a safe space for your students, a safe place, a safe classroom, you need to recognize that there is another facet that you need to be very on top of, the other students in the room. If someone makes a mistake, even if it is a thoughtless mistake, if even one student laughs or says some comment, this classroom is no longer a safe space. Now, as a teacher, you do not have control over what people say or do. But in my room, to help encourage this safe place, whenever a student says something that is either offensive, degrading, or mean, I jump to the defense of the students that the comments were aimed at. I call this the mama bear mentality. I will do my best to be nurturing to my students, and give them an environment where they can explore. But as soon as one of my cubs hurts another one of my cubs, I need to make it clear to them that I am not playing around. Those things are not allowed to be said, and if I ever hear it again, I have set consequences ready to deal out. Make an over-the-top display of protection around your students. Then, and only then, will it be a safe place. Number three, kids with disabilities are experts in reading your tone of voice. If you're not saying something with sincerity, these kids will know. They may not ever let on, but they'll know, and they'll take it to heart many times. I would very much encourage you, if you can't say something with sincerity, 
to wait to say it until you can. Take a couple deep breaths, take a small brain break, do whatever you need to do. But know that you're not going to fool your students, especially ones with disabilities. Because for a student with disabilities, school is an environment of survival, not learning. Which means their brain is working overtime on evaluating different threats. I know that seems a little extreme, but it is true. I've seen it in my students, and I also know it from myself. Also, in a book study that I participated in, I learned about the amygdala. This part of the brain triggers the fight, flight, or freeze responses, and we need to be cognizant of the students that have a high risk for primarily operating out of their amygdala. Your tone of voice is a warning sign for the amygdala to react. So do your best to understand the power you hold in your tone of voice. Number four, many kids with disabilities have an extreme fear of failure. I'm talking crippling fear. I've talked about this before, but many kids who have a disability of some kind are just waiting for the day where the intelligence police bust into the classroom and say, you don't belong here. You're not smart enough. We all feel like imposters at times, but students with disabilities, and I can attest, feel this way in most environments. So how do we combat that extreme fear of failure? You know the old adage, practice makes perfect? Same goes with mistakes. Give students an environment to make mistakes regularly. This can be done by putting something on the board, like two plus two, wrong answers only providing them a fun way to make mistakes. We need to normalize mistakes. Another way you can do this is by highlighting your own mistakes. I know it's not within our nature, but as a professional adult, we need to get to the point to where we're comfortable highlighting our mistakes. This can come in many forms. Misspelling a word on the board, telling them to turn to the wrong page, snapping at a student who wasn't at fault. We're going to make mistakes, but too many teachers use the fact that these are kids to justify them covering up their mistakes and normally making a kid take the fall instead. The fact of the matter is, a kid's word is often not believed as much as an adult, so it is easy for adults to sweep the blame on a kid. But by doing so, you have lost all trust with that student, as well as provided a very poor example for them in how they conduct their lives. Number five. Button pushing is a learned behavior. Teachers aren't the only ones guilty of this. It comes from parents, siblings, etc. But I've seen so many examples of this in the educational system that it makes me a little sad. There are some teachers out there that are professional button pushers. That's how they motivate their students, threatening to take away the thing that they know that the student enjoys, reminding them of past failures, making fun of an embarrassing moment, showcasing a poor grade to the entire class. There are so many teachers that play chess with their students. Students are their opponents. Kids will push our buttons, yes, but we should be actively trying not to push theirs. Not only does that start a cycle that will never end well, but it totally throws out any option of making a community of learning. It's not us versus them. In fact, it is our responsibility to attempt to make the us versus them mentality non-existent in our classes. This is done through educating and proper modeling, things that you need to do as a teacher. So don't push students' buttons. It may work once or twice to get the student to do what you want them to do, but you can't build any traction that way. Plus, the students have less of an excuse of why they're pushing buttons. If you're gonna fight with fire, then they're gonna get fire to fight with you. 
And finally, to number six, students with disabilities get teased often about their visits to the special ed room. This is just an inevitability, whether it's ignorance of other students, an unintentional comment from adults, or just someone being mean. Students with disabilities have a stigma that follows them around, and having teachers deny that fact isn't getting rid of it. It still happens, more often than we would like to recognize. So what do we do? Because we can't be with the student 24-7, we can't control what other people say and do. We need to do our best to change their perspective of the special ed room for them. Then it'll make it a lot easier for them to resist the onslaught of negative comments. One of the ways you can do this is to talk about the student's strengths. Spend a lot of time focusing on finding that thing the student is really good at or has a passion for and consider teaching about the different types of intelligences. Make it so clear to the students that there are people that are book smart that have to retake driving tests several times before they pass it or people that just can't figure out how to keep a plant alive. Then you can even go further in talking about the unfairness in the education system. Tell them that even though the theory of multiple intelligences has been around for years, that the majority of the education system still focuses on only two of them. Spend some time talking about different career paths and successful people who have struggled in school. Give them an arsenal to at least be able to self-reflect when they get teased and realize that their value isn't based on their reading score or grade on the math test or what room they go to. Kids who know their true value only become more valuable. So it needs to be a teacher's priority to help students find their value. This has been another special education podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any comments or questions about today's episode, please email me at specialeducation at gmail.com. Or you can find me on Instagram at specialeducation, where I share visuals relating to each episode and positive teacher pick-me-ups throughout the week. I'm not going to pretend that I am a super wise guru, but if you get something valuable out of what you hear, passing it on to someone else means the world to me. Thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you next week. 